It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I have Peter Montoya on the show today. Uh, what makes Peter unique is that most speakers who teach have not done it themselves, and most entrepreneurs don't know how to speak. Peter is the rare exception. He's a thought leader who has accomplished big things, and Peter is in love. He's in, he's passionate about leadership. Uh, Peter Montoya, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bert. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, you know what? I'm excited to have you here and, and uh, kind of uh, talk about your experience. Um, give us kind of a little bit of background about yourself. I know that you bootstrapped uh, a very successful software company, but kind of give us the Reader's Digest version of Peter Montoya. So I graduated with a degree in political science, but I realized very quickly I had neither the ambition or sex drive for politics. And when you've got a degree in political science, you only have a couple of choices. You can go to law school. You can go into food services. You can become a bartender or a waiter, uh, or you can go into sales. So my first job in sales was working for one of the biggest motivational speakers in the world. Uh, and I kind of uh, went through the kind of the training grounds of how to be a speaker and a trainer. I learned how to sell. I learned how to market. I learned how to develop content. Uh, I spent five years traveling across 22 major cities. Um, and then when I ret retired from that job at the ripe age of 28, I realized I, I knew everything. So I could go into business for myself. Uh, and I think the biggest gift I had at 28 was not knowing how dumb I was and how little I knew. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a great deal of gusto. Uh, I started an advertising agency specializing only in financial advisors at 28. I wrote a book called The Brain Called You. And it was a kind of a new discipline uh, back in 98, 99, 2000. So I kind of took that mantle for personal branding for a good decade. Uh, and then uh, in 2006, what, you know, what my first advertising agency was a really tough business model. It was a model where you could only eat what you kill. You know, it was an eat to kill model. So every single month I had to generate between $200,000 and $400,000 in sales. Uh, and if I didn't, I couldn't make my ongoing nut. Um, so uh, I then transformed it into a software business. And, and along the way, uh, I've done 3,000 speeches. Uh, I've developed 5,000 marketing plans. Uh, and then I sold my software business in 2018 and kind of reverted back to my first love, uh, which is leadership development. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I, I love what you said there about uh, uh, going in business for yourself. You know, we know it all and we know we can do it better than the other guy. <laughs> oh, right. Right. I was quite certain I was going to be a millionaire by, by the age of 30. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, that, that's, uh, that brings back so many memories. <laughs> uh, but I think that's what, you know, that's the, uh, that's the thing that makes entrepreneurs, uh, some, you know, uh, somewhat unique. And to think that, you know, we have this gusto, uh, maybe this, uh, this overconfidence that we can do it. And of course, I think that the first couple of years, of building a business, you kind of run on adrenaline, you know, you, you know, you're so excited and, and, you know, you, you know, we hear the statistic that most businesses fail within the first two years. And I think the reason why is because 
at the end of that second year, that starting your third year, that's when passion is starting to fade. And now the real work begins. You know, you've kind of, you know, you, you, you're starting to really understand this is much harder than I expected. And I really don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> I think a lot of people just say, hey, I'm just going to cut and run, take my losses and come back another time. And, and uh, uh, so, yeah, I think it's being an entrepreneur is is kind of a, a weird thing to dive into. It's, it's really, really hard. I remember probably when I was starting my business with my uh, first wife, we were dating probably at the time, and we both were watching TV when you were watching cable TV, and we were watching you interview an entrepreneur, and he said, uh, I, most entrepreneurs go broke seven times before they make money, and I thought, wow, that's never going to happen to me. No, nope, it pretty much happened. But I never actually went bankrupt, uh, but I had seven busts probably before I really started making good money as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that kind of reminds me, you know, I think they say that the average overnight success is like, you know, 17 years in the making or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. It. <laughs> All right. So talk about, you know, your passion for leadership. Obviously, that's one of your big things that you're that you're passionate about. Why, what's the thing that draws you to leadership? So, you know, it really strikes to my core because here's the question that I, I ask myself for will humanity be better off than it is now, better or worse off based on its current trajectory in 50 years. So by the end of my life, will human civilization be better or worse off based on where we're currently headed? And when I ask myself that question, the answer is resounding worse. Now, I'm an optimist. I'm very, very hopeful. But based on where, where we're headed right now, both as a society, a politics, and our large environmental problems, I'm scared to death. So I've got a very strong moral code of responsibility. And the thought of leaving this planet when I die in 30, 40, 50 years, worse off to my kids and my grandkids, is uh, unpalatable. That is an unpalatable idea to me. So I really know that, that we have the resources to solve all of the problems that we're currently facing. And what we are lacking is an incredible lack of leadership. Yeah. Now, I certainly don't believe that I'm the one person who's going to train the leaders who's going to solve the problems, uh, but I certainly hope to be part of the solutions, developing the next uh, wave of leaders who are leading themselves, their friends and families, and their organizations to be a part of the solutions that help our species survive. Uh, I think our species is incredible and amazing, and life might be very, very rare in this massive universe. Uh, and we really have a responsibility, I think, as a species uh, to make sure that we survive. Yeah, that's uh, that, uh, that's pretty good motivation. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, I wasn't expecting that for an answer. But you're right. I, I think that our, our species certainly lacks true leadership. And I think that, you know, you don't have to be a gargantuan leader. In other words, you don't have to be, um, uh, you know, a, a who do I'm, Elon Musk or, or a Mark Cuban, that size of a leadership. I think that there's, you know, there's leaders in your community, uh, leaders just at home. Uh, you know, I think that sometimes uh, there's a lack of leadership even in a household. And, and you see these kids. Big time. Um, that are 
for lack of better terms, they're not, they're not accountable to anybody. They're not held to any standards and they are, unfortunately they're headed for a very difficult life because they haven't been given any kind of foundation, you know, to, to build on. And, and so uh, I can't remember the book. I think it's 12 rules. And, and so the, the gentleman in the book talks about that either you can teach your kids how to be, you know, good leaders. You can teach your, your you, uh, you can either teach your kids um, your way and teach them, you know, kind of in a, in a nice way, for lack of better terms, or you can let, let life teach them in a very harsh way. And I think yeah. there's a lot of kids that are learning the harsh way that the way the world works. Yes, very true. They're learning, learning or not learning um, as they go. So for me, uh, I think that there's, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but it's like three to five million small businesses in this country. And we as small business owners have as much influence as any one of those really big mega, if not more than that. And so, yes, we can affect very positive change uh, in our businesses, in our communities, with our clients, with our friends, and with our families. So we have a really big input as business owners, and I think we carry a responsibility. Second, I've also discovered that doing good is good business. So when we have alignment, when we are what we'll call um, an impact-driven business, which we're trying to positively impact clients, the community, and the environment, we actually will make more money, <laughs> have more fun, attract better quality people, and have far more joy in our businesses. So my job is to work with business leaders, help make sure they're aligned and they're becoming better leaders. So we're doing better by all of our different little stakeholder groups who I just mentioned there. And kids is a really big one for me, the youth of our country. Absolutely. Look, I think that most people can look back and there's either a coach or a teacher or maybe a manager or a mentor. So, you know, one of these leaderships leaders in their lives that helped them, uh, you know, sparked uh, an interest, helped them get over a rough patch. Uh, you know, a good leader, uh, you know, is an incredible being, right? A, a good leader will will raise, raise the tide for everybody. And, and mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to find. Let me ask you this. Uh, you talk about there are four types of leaders. Is that right? Talk about the four types of leaders. Yeah, I know I got three domains of leaders. Okay. And so here are the three domains of leadership. The first domain of leadership is what we normally think of as a leader. As, and that's somebody who's, an, you know, standing on a stage and they're orating and they're leading a group of people. So these are leaders of organizations, leaders of movements, leaders of governments and leaders of companies. And that's what we typically think of as a leader. That's a very important domain, but it's not the primary domain. Second domain is leaders of friends and family. And we are all doing that either for the better or for the worse, as we are always modeling our behavior, which is influencing others. So whether we know it or not, we're a leader of friends and family. And what my wife always says uh, to our kids is be a better influence on your friends than they are on you. And the first and most important domain of leaders uh, is leadership. Of self. So when one of the biggest uh, tectonic changes 
we made as an organization is when we hire people now, the most important question we ask is, are you a leader? Uh, 90% of the people are flummoxed by it and they kind of hem and haw at it. 10% say absolutely positively yes. 10% say no. And the other 80% are kind of wondering and grasping. And everyone we hire, uh, we put into leadership development. So everyone in our organization is in, is in leadership development, developing their leadership skills, the better leader of self of the, and of their organization. And what's great about leadership development is it, con it requires constant self-reflection. So Bert, you and I both have had the experience before of going into a meeting, trying to lead the group and the meeting going completely sideways. You know, people are angry, they're confused, they don't know what to do. And we leave the meeting frustrated we're in the car on our way home and we reflect upon it and go, okay, here's what I didn't do right with that meeting. Here's how I'm going to do it better next time. And when you have an organization is all thinking about what went right, what didn't, what could go better? How can I do better? You have an organization uh, on the cusp of exponential growth. Yeah. So, you know, listening to you, uh, I'm going to use the word accountability. And this is where I think it separates I want to say good leaders from great leaders from, you know, whatever you want to call it. But accountability is something that, again, if you look at politics, uh, this is where, you know, these are these these individuals are, quote, leading our country, but they they hate to be held accountable. They love to play the blame game instead of just saying, you know what, I'm going to take I'm taking charge. You know, we're going to fix this. You know, to me, they're, they're a great example of, I want to say 90% of the time, they're a great example of what leadership is not. But I think accountability is such a powerful tool if done correctly. What's mm -hmm. your take? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So accountability is a big deal. And in our organization, you know, I think there's kind of good accountability and bad accountability. So, you know, bad accountability is about blame and shame. You know, who screwed up? Who are we going to hoist up and make a mockery of? Who are we going to make fun of? Who are we going to shun from our organization? And that is bad accountability. Good accountability is paired with a candid conversations. And candid conversations are unvarnished conversations about what actually happened. What was our objective? What did we actually achieve? What went right? What went wrong? What can we do better next time? And those five questions are very, very key to any accountability conversation that I have. And it's never about blame or shame or who messed up. It's just what happened. And once we can assess, you know, have a firm rooting in reality, we really want to be based on facts. So making decisions based on that, then we as an organization can correct and move forward. So one of the things that I model in my organization on a very regular basis is uh, I make more mistakes than anybody in my organization. So when we have meetings, we in those accountability meetings, we are actually talking about mistakes. Uh, I put myself out there. Uh, I you know call my mistakes out. I talk about them on a regular basis in a very candid way, and I lead by example, humility, and admitting my mistakes as quickly as the moment they happen, so we can actually move forward. Yeah, and I think that's a great, uh, I would call it model to follow, lead by example. When you're open about your mistakes, it allows other people to be open about their mistakes. And the reality is we learn, or hopefully we're learning from our mistakes, right? I mean, that's that's where experience comes from. You, 
you try something, you, you know, you, you don't, you're not successful. So you get a little bit better at it. And I think that's the great thing about sports that sometimes people forget that, you know, sports isn't always necessarily about winning. Yes, we all want to win, but it's also about learning how to become better over time. And it's, you know, just a little bit here and a little bit there before you know it, you know, you you're able to pitch the ball over the plate that much better or, you know, hit the ball or, you know, whatever sport analogy you want to use. But uh, I love this idea of leading by example. You mentioned humility. I think humility is a huge leadership tool that's overlooked because I think most people think about leadership as some kind of power trip. And, you know, I want to get your take on this. You know, when you think of power, what is power to you versus what is empowerment? Oh, man, I love that question. So let me uh, turn it back on you, Bert. So here's the question I've got for you. Do you want more power? Why? Yes or no? And why or why not? So, Bert, do you want more power? Yes or no? And why or why not? Well, I think my immediate act- uh, reaction is yes. My immediate answer is yes. I want more power. Why? Well, because more power allows you more choices, allows you uh, to try different things that when you feel as though you have the power, you're going to uh, up level your goals. Uh, with more power, you can you can affect more people. Um, so yes, I want more power. Awesome, I love that. So about half my audience is maybe sixty percent of the audience is usually say no, and the reason they say no is they go, you know, I don't want to be some kind of fat cat in a corner office who has hegemonic about their control and is more or less extracting wealth or resources from other people. I don't want to take advantage of people. That's kind of their their mentality. What power is? Right. But here's what power is. Power is the ability to achieve intended results. That's it. Power is just the ability to achieve intended results. And no matter where you are in life or what you want that you do not have, it requires more power. So it might be in the physical realm that you want a better business, you want a better house, you want more sales, more revenue, more profit. That requires more power. Maybe it's more subjective and you want a better relationship with your spouse. Maybe you want better relationships with your kids. Maybe you want to travel to third world countries and you want to help them develop, um, you know, build houses. Whatever you don't have that you want is an exercise in power. So here's some, some small distinctions between power, empowerment, and leadership. Now, here's what's really amazing is the definition of power is the same as leadership. So leadership is the ability to achieve intended results. And most likely, uh, you're doing that through the agency of others. So what good leaders do is they know how to bring together, inspire, and organize others to solve a problem, to achieve a result in some regard. Um, so there are people who actually uh, may not have the best leadership and or the best skill set, but they know who to hire or who to bring on to their team to, to achieve a result. So achieving results doesn't mean that you do it, but no, it means you know how to lead and organize in order to get things done. And empowerment is a very small distinction. Uh, empowerment is living life by your own design. So it's basically taking power, your ability to achieve results, being strategic in its application over a long period of time so you're living life by your own design. So both leadership and power is achieving results, and empowerment is nothing more than doing it over a long period of time. You're living a very fulfilled life. Yeah, I like those distinctions, and I never thought about power and leadership uh, being the same meaning. I think I know. I, when, I, when I stumbled on that one day, I was like, oh my gosh, is the same thing? Because when we think about leadership, it's, it's somebody who accomplishes something, but most likely it's through the other people. But today, it really is next to impossible to accomplish anything 
without the cooperation of others. I can't, I can't imagine anything you would want to do without the cooperation of others. Yeah. Well, I, I think certainly not, not anything on a big scale. Mm -hmm. You know, th there's a lot of people out there who have a small business and, you know, they, they do whatever it is they do, maybe a hundred thousand or hundred, you know, whatever, $200,000 a year. There are, there are tons of solo practitioners out there who do very well and they have a small business and that's it. Yeah. And, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you wanted to scale, if you wanted to triple that business or, you know, whatever, uh, then yeah, it's going to take a certain different, uh, what do you call it, a different level of leadership or thinking or power, as you mentioned. And I love that idea that no matter what it is you want to do, if you want to have a better relationship, better fitness, better money, it requires more power. And, mm -hmm. and not only physical, but a lot of it is mental, right? It's all, it's all in your head. Yeah, it's almost all in your head. Uh, I mean, you look at someone like Stephen Hawking. Uh, Stephen Hawking was one of the most effective leaders um, of our lifetime. He dramatically he was a, trans, a transformational, transformational leader, and he provided us a new understanding, a revolutionary understanding uh, on how the cosmos works. Uh, he couldn't talk. He certainly couldn't walk. He wasn't the best communicator verbally anyway. And yet he exercised tremendous power uh, over humanity. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought him up. He's one of my favorite people. Uh, here's the gentleman, as you said, he, he was disabled in so many ways, but he had this unbelievable mental power. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he wrote books. He was uh, involved in multiple movies. Mm -hmm. uh, he became a recurring character on the Big Bang Theory, and it's just it just goes to show you that you know most people would think a guy that's that's disabled would have a very poor quality of life and achieve nothing, and here's a guy who said, "Screw that!" I'm, I'm mm -hmm. you know he was aware that it was beyond you know that that his physical limitations was not his limit. And I think there's so much to learn from Stephen Hawking's because here, you know, there's, let's say 80% of the people that we encounter are, are blessed to have a full working body. And yet we accomplish so very little. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's humbling. It's just, it is. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, I, anyway. Okay, so let me more or less, anyone, uh, first, of all, first of all, everyone is a leader. You're at least a leader of self. Yes. Uh, and secondly, anybody can become a transformational leader, no matter what your age, uh, ethnicity, uh, physical limitations might be. And history is full of examples of people who don't normally fit the normal power profile of 55-year-old white man who have made transformational changes. Uh, Greta Thunberg is one. Uh, yes. Lalia, who's you know from Afghanistan. So there are people who have of all different ethnicities, nationalities, religions, ages who have become transformational leaders. Anybody can become a leader. Well, and and, and again, not to uh, keep harping on this point, but parents, to me, if you're a parent, you are absolutely in the driver's seat of a transformational leader, because nothing is you know uh, nothing. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nothing requires more transformational leadership than a child to go from, you know, a, a toddler to uh, 
uh, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know. They're before the independent before, healthy or, adult with any luck. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, anyway, so back to the, when we were talking about power, um, I want to talk about what are some of the sources of leadership power? Yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of times we look at certain people and go, well, but that person, he or she really has that it quality. Of course, they are a leader. Naturally, they're, they, they are the leader. Um, however, the truth is they, did, they most likely weren't born that way. They actually developed it. So I'm going to share with you uh, five, I'm sorry, four. Uh, let's give you four sources of leadership power. Uh, number one is absolute responsibility, which is owning the situation independent of who caused it. So every single day, we are oftentimes thrust into situations which we may not have created. You know, it could be either going into traffic or a missed airline flight um, or a business deal that doesn't go the way you want to. And oftentimes, we get caught up in wanting to blame and shame other people. That is absolutely a dead end to developing your own power. So good leaders, they own the situation independently of who caused it. This is probably one of the biggest factors in developing more power is that absolute responsibility. Uh, a second one in uh, our society, it is integrity. Integrity is absolutely critical. Uh, and what happens for most people, actually, I give you the, the four pillars of integrity. Uh, number one is tell the truth, being honest about your reflection of reality. Number two is keeping your agreements. Number three is making sure that uh, all of your relationships end in a win-win. Uh, every time we engage with anybody, there are four possibilities. Um, lose-lose, you lose, I lose. Lose-win, uh, you lose, I win. Uh, win-lose, um, sorry, I mean lose-win. Lose-win, uh, I lose, you win. And the fourth possibility is win-win. And people of high integrity make sure that every relationship finishes in win-win. So, and the fourth pillar of integrity is whole. So we've got absolute responsibility. We've got integrity. Number three is humility. And that is the ability to admit you're wrong. Admitting your mistakes is the single best ways to stop uh, committing that, that error. So just admitting your mistakes is absolutely huge. Uh, and the fourth uh, quality is skepticism. And skepticism is, the, is basing your decisions based on fact. So Bert, let me ask you uh, this question. Would you rather believe a happy fantasy or a hard truth? Uh, I, I like the hard truth. I, uh, yeah. I want to get it. I want to be able to deal with it. Uh, That's it. <laughs> and, and me too. So every model of leadership and decision making is based on the fundamental premise that everyone starts with a common understanding of what the facts are. And that is what skepticism is, is that pursuit for knowing exactly or as close as we can what is the reality. So we're making decisions based on reality, based on some kind of, not on some kind of fluff out there. Yeah. Um, so those are the four sources of leadership power uh, that when you develop those, you'll be more effective, more influential, have more power influencing everyone around you. Absolute responsibility, integrity, humility, and skepticism. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And again... I've just, you know, over the years, when I look back at my biggest mistakes, I can look back and realize that I was so arrogant, so conceited, so, uh, you know, I had bought into my own press, for lack of better terms, uh, that if I would have been humble, I would have avoided that. But again, you know, uh, nothing humbles you like a, 
like a beat down. <laughs> it does. So you alluded to this earlier, and let me talk about it now here too. There's both on, on the pedestal and off the pedestal leadership. And when I first started my business career, I, I thought I was supposed to be an on the pedestal re- leader, like a drill sergeant. You know, my models for leadership were Gordon Gecko, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket, and Mr. Spacely from the Jetsons. Uh, I thought you were supposed to be infallible, have all the answers, never be wrong and order people around. That was my perception of leadership. And boy, was I wrong. Uh, now I practice off the pedestal leadership where uh, I make as many mistakes or more mistakes than my peer and my team does. I admit my mistakes. And my number one job now is not to be a, a dictator to tell people what to do. My number one job as a leader is leadership development. My goal is to develop leaders who are better leaders than me. That is my sole mission. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the, um, one of the books that I, I fell in love with a couple of years ago, um, Extreme Ownership. Yeah, by, right. Uh, Rocco Willink. Rocco Willink. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Leaf Babbitt. One of the things that blew me away from that book, and, it, and it's kind of uh, subtle un, under the radar, they talked about owning your mistakes. They talk about uh, the fact that how many mistakes they made and, and, and that mistakes are part of leadership and all this other stuff. But, you know, when you think of the, when you think of the elite SEAL teams, you don't think of mistakes, right? Because they're mm-hmm. so well known and they're trained and they're so precise. Um, that's what the reputation is. But, the, you know, he peeled back the curtain a little bit and, and just said, you know, we make a lot of mistakes and how you deal with those mistakes sets you up for success or failure. And he, and interestingly enough, he talked about dealing with leaders that were humble versus those that weren't humble and the ones that were, that weren't humble made. Yeah. That's on the pedestal versus off the pedestal leadership. Yeah. yeah. And I love that on pedestal, off pedestal, you know, as humans, we want to be on pedal. We want everybody to say, hey, you're awesome. You're, what a great talk or speech. And right. You wrote a fantastic right. book. And, and that's great. Uh, but being able to understand that that's fleeting and, and understand that uh, real power uh, comes from that humility. Uh, back mm-hmm. to what you were saying, it's not about you, but it's about helping those around you. And you have to be humble to be willing to help those around you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there are four realizations inside of humility. So here are the four realizations of being humble. The first uh, realization um, is that you are no more valuable or less valuable than anyone else on the planet. Uh, if you're in an organization, you probably have more authority. It means you can make more decisions, but that does not make you a more valuable human being. So nothing makes my blood boil more than seeing somebody who has more power abusing somebody who has less power. And that's usually verbally. So if I ever in a hotel and I see somebody who makes a hundred or two hundred dollars an hour abusing, like by yelling, screaming, demeaning a, a, a clerk who makes twenty dollars an hour, nothing makes me more enraged than that because they basically have some level of belief in there that they are actually more valuable than that other person, which is not the case. They make more money, have more authority, but that does not make you better than anybody else. So that's the first realization. Second realization is you're not perfect. Uh, and if you're not perfect, there is nothing to protect. We only have to protect perfect. The Mona Lisa, uh, the Statue of David, 
the Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, those things are perfect and they should be protected. But otherwise, we as human beings are not perfect. So therefore, we can look at our mistakes and use those as a way to grow. Uh, the third realization um, uh, is that we want to make, admit our mistakes as quickly to the moment that we make them. And I want to admit my mistakes uh, as close to the moment as I make them. So that's what being humble is really about. Yeah, you know, that uh, when you talk about admitting your mistakes, uh, reminds me of uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I believe. Mm -hmm. He talks about admitting your mistakes and doing it quickly. And, and I, I can't remember if it was quickly and often, but doing it quickly, right? I, I remember that for sure. And, you know, I think that, again, it goes back to, if you care about your team, if you care about your company, if you care about the, you know, helping other people, then you're going to admit your mistakes. You're going to do it quickly and and move on as opposed to we've talked about people who like to play the blame game. And yeah, you know what, depending on how much you're paying your people, they may stay for a while. But sooner or later, uh, there's going to be high turnover. And again, if you uh, not to make this political, but if you look at uh, our current president, uh, I think that there's a lot there to learn about leadership. And we've seen, you know, a, a lot of turnover there, which to me indicates that there may be some issues with uh, the way leadership is conducted. But there is a great amount of learning that can uh you know, both good and bad that I think that we can take away from our current White House leadership and not to make it political. But if you just want if you look at it from just an objective point and just, under, you know, just kind of uh, try to understand what's going on and dissect, I think there's a lot there to learn. So Dwight D. Eisenhower had a great quote. I'm going to paraphrase it as best I possibly can. Uh, leadership is very simple. It's taking all the blame and giving away all the credit. Wow. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be nice? That that right. that's great. That right. is uh, that, that's a great quote. Uh, I, I thought very, so too. Yeah, that's a very difficult thing to do. And uh, so the, the challenge with our current politics is we're currently practicing the politics of hate. Yeah, and that's where each side more or less lies, distorts, and demonizes the other side which then more or less empowers each side to behave in a more awful way. So yeah. as long as we're saying the other side is this horrible demon who's trying to destroy the country, it more or less gives authorization to our side to do worse and escalating things. So there's been the argument that we are, um, we are we're afraid we can enter into a civil war. And the truth is we already are in a civil war. It's a cold civil war right now. And there's been yeah. some flare-ups of it being a hot war. So when you see protesters and or law enforcement being injured or killed, that's when we're moving from a cold war to a hot war. Uh, and it's awful as a country. And I, I've seen people on, on social media actually celebrating. Oh, look at my side, hit that side and knocked him out. That was great. And that to me is, uh, I, I bleed inside uh, when I hear that. And it's like you cutting, taking a knife in your right hand and cutting your left hand and celebrating. It, it's utterly insane to want to be celebrating the, the cold civil war that's happening in our country right now. Yeah. And what, 
uh, absolutely has got to happen. The reason that we are in this cold silver war is because we cannot agree on a common set of facts. So well, uh, both sides are distorting the set of facts. So we can't know what facts are. And until we have a common agreement with the set of facts are, we cannot solve the problems that we're facing. Not only that, but I think it goes back to what you were saying. When, when you have one side blaming the other side, uh, nothing is going to get done. Uh, j- just, uh, you know, since you brought this up, one of the things that I saw uh, that I totally thought was a poor example of leadership uh, back to politics was when uh, Speaker Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, you know, in, started ripping up uh, the president's talk. Um, and I just thought, you know, that's unnecessary. I, you know, th- there's there should be a certain level of respect, decency, decorum, yeah, decency for the office of the president. Even you, even though you may not get along with this uh, president at the moment, he's still the president. And there's a certain amount of decency and respect that should be, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, awarded that uh, that office, that mantle. I, and I thought what she did hurt her more than helped her cause. Uh, and, and I think it's a really, a really good example of the cold civil war that we're in. More or less, the Democrats thought well, this was this was great. You need to just disrespect him. I guess right. kind of this cold war. And then obviously the, the conservatives, Republicans in our country thought, you know, how awful this was. I, I think I, I tend to, to your side. I think that all presidents deserve, deserve a certain level of respect and decorum. So I, I side with you on that one. And I hope it doesn't happen again. But most likely, next time we have a, a Democratic president and a Republican disrespects them in some way, they'll think they're justified. And so we are kind of at this race to the bottom where we have this kind of um, vicious cycle happening here where we each do worse and worse things to each other, thinking that we're justified, not realizing we hurt each other, we're hurting ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, if everybody is bickering and fighting, nothing's getting done. And uh, anyway, so I agree with you. Peter Montoya, we're out of time. If you guys want to reach out and find out more about Peter Montoya website, petermontoya.com. Uh, Peter, it's been delightful to have you here on the show and looking forward to having you back again and, uh, and having some more fun. Bert, I'd love to come back and please do come visit me at petermontoya.com. I run a program called the High Performance Organization where I help leaders uh, bank more leaders. So I've got a program where we work with business leaders to turn their organizations into leadership development organizations so they can really highly perform. That's what we do. I love it. Leaders teaching leaders to become leaders. I love it. PeterMontoya.com. Peter Montoya, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a thrill. Much appreciated. All righty.